Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in England, Chimak Kosandu from Toronto in Canada. Coming to you at the start of a big week. UFC 259 is coming your way. Not one, not two, three title fights. Keep your fingers crossed they all stay together on the fight card this coming weekend. But before we launch into all that, how's your week been, Sandy? Not too bad, Simon. Can't complain. The weather is slowly starting to get better here in Toronto. Uh, the, uh, the snow is starting to subside. Uh, we're getting a little bit of rain, so it's kind of reminding me of, uh, of, of London. You know, grey, miserable, cloudy and rainy. Um, but I'll take that over snow any day of the week. And uh, yeah, I was looking forward to this massive event this upcoming uh, Saturday night. It just doesn't get bigger than this. The UFC pay-per-view, three title fights. By the end of 2020, that we may be looking back at this as the most stacked and you know, the most you know, incredible card that we're going to get this year because the, the competitive level... Uh, of not just the title fight, some of the other fights in this card is just out of the world. Yeah, it is really is all killer, no filler this weekend. Leading into this weekend, though, we obviously we've just had UFC Fight Night in uh, in Vegas, UFC Fight Night One Eight Six or UFC Vegas Twenty, if you prefer, and that kind of completed a little narrative that we've been dealing with in the UFC all around the UFC heavyweight division. Uh, we know that Stipe Miocic is taking on Francis Ngannou in a rematch in the main event of UFC 260. But it has been all about the chess pieces falling into place underneath that. We know John Jones is coming into the division and that he's all but been told that he's going to be next, I think. But Derek Lewis and uh, Cyril Gunn just picked up victories in successive weeks. We talked about Derek Lewis last week. Super impressive win, huge knockout. This weekend, it was Cyril Gunn and Jazino Rosenstreich um, they had the opportunity to really make a statement and push themselves ahead of the Black Beast, get themselves to the front of the queue, and maybe even force the UFC to consider whether they don't want to give Jones a title fight straight away. The opportunity was there to at least ask the question. And what we got was a bit of an egg. It didn't really, it didn't really, it didn't really deliver on fight night. Cyril Garn got the win, absolutely dominated the fight. You look at the scorecards, it was a complete landslide decision win for the big Frenchman. But it wasn't the coming out performance that certainly Dana White was looking for. He spoke half. Well, I think he told Kevin Kevin Ioli via a text message, I think, um, what he thought of it. And he clearly wasn't that impressed, Sandu. Um, first thing, what was your what was your take on the performance? And also Dana White's reaction to it? Because at the end of the day, he's a promoter. That was kind of like anti-promotion to me. He was like, he was basically damning the man with faint praise. It seemed a little unnecessary to me. What did you make of it? Well, look, Dana White is one of the best promoters and he's the reason or one of the reasons the UFC is as big as it is today. And a part of that is he, I, I don't think he perhaps does it as often as maybe he, he used to, especially with some of the more bigger names, but he keeps it real most of the time, man. And, and that's why the fans like him. That, that, that's why the, the UFC audience appreciates his honesty. He just calls it like, like, like he sees it. And to be honest with you, it's pretty much the narrative everybody has kind of woven into what they felt about um, Saturday night's main event. You know, it wasn't a great event overall, if, we, if we're being honest. Obviously, he got decimated with more uh, last-minute cancellations due to COVID. Ashley Yoda versus Angela Hill was ca got cancelled hours going into the card itself. And overall, we're looking at, what, nine fights 
eight decisions. Ronnie L Lawrence on the prelims was the only guy that was able to get a finish over Vince Cachero. And then on the main card, it was literally just a Pedro Munoz, um, Jimmy Rivera fight that really delivered the goods. That was, that was a really high level, elite level MMA um, fight. And then the main event, and you know, as I'm kind of going into the main event, I don't know how you're feeling about it at this stage, Simon, but I was like, please let this main event deliver because it hasn't been a great card. Please let this main event deliver. Now, I'll say this much. Cyril Garn, I think, did what he had to do. I mean, you have to remember, this guy is only three years in to his professional MMA career. He's still very green. This was only his eighth professional bout. And he, so far, it's a, it's a perfect record. Eight fights and eight wins. But it was a one-sided fight from, I guess, the judges' scorecards, number one, 50-45 across the board. So that tells you that Cyril Garn was the guy that was being quote-unquote aggressive um, throughout the 25 minutes, you know, landing his jabs and, you know, a few strikes here and there. But Jarzinho Rosenstruck, he was the one. He was the one that had to take the fight to Cyril Garn, especially perhaps after the third round where you're pretty much, no, you know, at that stage, you know, you're, you're down three rounds. You've got 10 minutes to really turn things around, land that, you know, killer, killer blow and, and try and knock this guy out. And nothing absolutely nothing over the 25 minutes from Rosenstruck. And you look at his record, we talked about how many fights he's been in, not just in MMA, but in kickboxing. And his knockout record is phenomenal. He just didn't let his hands go, man. And you don't, these main event opportunities, Simon, in, in on fight night cards, they don't grow on trees. And considering where he was ranked heading into this um, this past weekend, it, it, it was a real blow for, for Rosenstruck. And I think... Um, it's really da damaged him, you know, moving forward in terms of anyone that might be, you know, looking forward to fighting him. Now, with, with Garn, like I said, I think we, we don't have to go too harsh on him. He is still fairly young in his MMA career. I was thinking in my mind, Simon, if Rosenstruck had won, you, I think you've got to do Rosenstruck versus Derek Lewis, maybe as a co-main event to John Jones fighting the winner of Miocic in Garnu. I, I think that would have made all the sense in the world. But with Garn's performance and, and, and now Garn winning, I don't want to put him in a situation with Derek Lewis. I, th I think Derek Lewis is too marquee. I think he's too big of a name. And I think he deserves better than Garn coming off this performance. So me personally, Simon, I would do Alexander Volkov versus Cyril Garn next just to see if Garn is at that next level, if he can really, you know, um, you know hang with someone of Volkov's uh, ability uh, and uh, veteranship and you know experience um but yeah not too much to get excited about not too much to really talk about when it comes to this past weekend's card especially that main event outside of who should uh go and fight next yeah i mean i i thought that i thought that dana was a little bit harsh and let me tell you why i mean yeah the fight was not let's be honest it was not a good fight to watch was it it was not a good fight to watch and especially for the likes of me and the fellow, uh, a lot of fellow Britpack listeners from over here in the UK who are watching it, having stayed up through the night and they thought, right, big heavyweight fight. This is, this is what, you know, we're going to finish on a high here. And it was just a bit of a dud, but what we also need to, we need to sort of temper that with the fact that Cyril Gunn just became only the second man to beat Jazino Rosenstrike. No one else other than Francis Ngannou has achieved this. Junior Dos Santos got knocked out. Alistair Overeem got knocked out. Uh, Andre Alovsky got knocked out. Cyril Gunn dominated a fight and won on points, right? So not that bad. Not that bad. So I think we just need to, I don't know, not be quite so harsh and just, 
yeah, the fight sucked, but it takes two to tango, doesn't it? And uh, clearly, Jazino Rosenstreit did not bring his dancing shoes with him on Saturday night. So interesting to see what happens with him next. I tend to agree with what you say about Garn fighting uh, Volkov next. If that means that Derek Lewis is probably going to face the loser of the Miocic and Garnu title fight, unless Miocic loses and retires, which could throw everything into disarray. I wouldn't want Derek Lewis sitting on the shelf unless he's mm-hmm. absolutely guaranteed a title fight. So if it's a, he needs to just be fighting the next best guy. And if he beats the next best guy, he should then slot in behind John Jones for the next title shot. Volkov's right there. Um, but of course they've done that fight once before Derek Lewis and Alexander Volkov. So Garn versus Volkov is a fresh matchup. That'd be an interesting one to see, but that's kind of the heavyweight division. We've, it was all a bit of a mess a few weeks ago. Now it feels like we've got a pecking order now. It's all gradually working, working itself out. Um, this weekend was a good weekend for John Jones because it meant that no one, no one is going to challenge him as the number one contender at this point. It's a good weekend for Derek Lewis because he hasn't lost his spot in the queue. So those two guys both benefited this weekend without even stepping into the cage. Uh, Cyril Garn, I think, a little bit of progression, but maybe the hype has kind of eased off a little bit. But he is definitely there. He's going to need to prove himself in another fight. Volkov may be that fight. We will find out probably in the weeks weeks and months to come. I would imagine they'll look to get get those guys in there maybe June, July time, try and line things up nicely. But uh, that was UFC fun. As you say, Sandu, not an awful amount to write home about uh, on that fight card. The Munoz-Rivera card stood out. Um, Alex Caceres, Kevin Kroon was an interesting fight. Magomed Ankalaev carried on his good form in the octagon. He's going to be, he's going to be right up there soon. He needs a big fight next. Uh, Tiago Moises beating Alexander Hernandez was an interesting fight as well, but there wasn't, there weren't too many sort of get out of the chair moments. Uh, and as you mentioned, Ronnie Lawrence, the lone TKO finish on his UFC debut as well. So kudos to him. Um, it's kind of funny. He's the only man to get a TKO on his debut. Oh, so, sorry, on, on the fight card. And he went backstage and said he wasn't really pleased with how he fought. Yeah, he was the one guy who actually went in there and finished the fight. But that was that final. We should probably put that on the back burner now and take a look at what's coming up because it's huge. Actually, before we do that, we've got three big title fights, but there's potentially news of another one, Sandu, that you uh, you want to talk, talk to us about from this week. Um, and it all sort of stems from the Canelo Alvarez fight that we just had this weekend. Yeah, so Canelo Alvarez went down this past weekend. Another fantastic performance by Canelo there. Obviously, this is not a, a boxing podcast. We're talking about MMA here. But Jorge Mazadal was there. Uh, I, and I believe he was there to do some guest commentary. And so after the event wrapped up, he was there and made himself available to some of the boxing media. And then on Sunday, a few of those you know bites started to trickle out on social media and all of a sudden, it's out there, Simon. He says, according to Gamebred, the BMF champion, title fight is on. He said it's happening. In one interview, he kind of talked about it being sometime August, September. And then in another interview, he said it was literally news just in via his camp that it's a locked-in, done deal for September. So it looks like we're getting Kamara Usman versus Jorge Mazadel to the rematch in September of this year which would make sense if they're going to be the coaches on the next season of The Ultimate Fighter, because then that gives you enough time to film the show, let these boys go back, get their camps done, allow for the promotion to roll out, allow for the show to play out 
um, on the various broadcast partners and build up to that rematch. And then, then literally, Simon, within hours of, of these interviews with Jorge Masdal trickling out, Kamara Usman's Instagram post on Sunday was once again a picture of him wearing the UFC welterweight championship on one shoulder, the UFC BMF championship belt on the other shoulder, which kind of goes back to my theory from a few weeks ago, Simon, which we, we spoke about where perhaps the negotiation or, or why it's taken so long to get this deal done has been with regards to Usman wanting to make sure that Mazadal's BMF championship was also on the line in this rematch. So maybe that's what's happened. Nothing is out there officially at this stage. We're, we can only go on what we've seen on social media. We can only go on Mazadal's interview bites. But what do you think, Simon? September, BMF belt on the line, welterweight championship on the line, and uh, maybe the Nigerian nightmare in Gamebird as the, the new coaches on the next series on Tough. I'd love it. I think it, I think it would be good to get it signed, just so that it ends all the uncertainty. The one thing I don't really enjoy about this whole business is the will they won't they you know the, the the public negotiation that goes on on social media and stuff i understand the necessity of it at times but it gets a bit tiresome i just want to see the fight skip if it's going to happen let's get it let's get it signed and let's let's make it happen and if it does get signed and get announced give us a nice long run-up if you need to that's absolutely fine if we're going to get tough as well great I'd still, I mean, tough is not what it used to be. So it needs to have a hook. It needs to have something that's going to get people to tune in. And I think a Masvidal Usman rivalry would do that. Um, I think it would be less tiresome than a Colby Covington Usman uh, rivalry because I think it would get very samey very quick. And I think it would get to a point where Colby's antics would start to get a bit boring after a while and you probably want to switch off and it would probably be detrimental to the season. I think Masvidal and Usman, there's that kind of simmering, simmering dislike between the pair of them. But I also do think there's a grudging respect there as well. Um, and they're very different characters. So, so I, I, I would like to see that booked. I'd like to see that happen. And uh, it, it's just something else to follow during the course of those summer months, get, get us through those summer months. We've, we might have an international fight week at some point. I don't know. It depends on how things go, whether it be stateside or in Abu Dhabi, but we may still get a summer showpiece event of some description. So we'll have that. Conor McGregor may well be back at some point in the summer. I would imagine he's, he's pushing for that right now with the, with the Dustin Poirier thing. So we might see that in the summer. So, and then underneath all that, you've got tough, just bubbling away nicely underneath with the knowledge that you've got this big title fight to follow after the summer. And it just, it helps the UFC scheduling as well to know you've got that big fight uh, going along and you never know. They might even, they might even look at things like interim titles and stuff just to keep the welterweight division moving. So yeah, I like it. I just want to see it booked now. I think it would be, it would be a good thing for everybody. Get it nailed down loads of time for everything to get ready. Just slow, slow play the whole thing. Nice slow burn. And uh, we have a big title fight at the end, which hopefully will be better than the first one. The first one was decent, but this one with both guys fully focused on each other, a full training camp under the belt of each fighter. We'll see the best Masvidal, we'll see the best Usman, and the best man will walk away with one and maybe maybe two belts. Who knows? But um, yeah, bring it on. Can't wait. Mate, I'm pumped for this because 
at the end of the day, Simon, we talk about this all the time. Love the meritocracy. Love when we get to see the the young up and coming fighters. But at the end of the day, this business revolves around traffic. Who can shift the most tickets? Who can shift the most pay per views? How can we get the absolute most eyeballs on any particular Saturday night? On, on a fight or an event. It's why this weekend's UFC 259 card is so stacked. And we're going to have so many, um, you know, people, fans, um, just tuning in, checking out all the coverage. Uh, this is what we live for. This is what we work for. And this is what makes the, the business end and the industry of MMA tick. Definitely. And uh, talking about the business end, UFC 259 is likely to do some pretty serious business at the box office. I mean, it is... Talking about quality, I know a lot of people will buy a pay-per-view on the strength of the main event. Um, hardcore fans, fans that really know what they're looking at, will buy the pay-per-view on the strength of the, the card as a whole. And all the way down this card, there are some outstanding matchups. But let's focus our attention for the purposes of this show on the main card. We've got five fights on the main card, three of them for UFC undisputed titles. Let's just start with the main event, shall we? Jan Blahovic versus... Israel Adesanya. It's kind of weird because Israel Adesanya is the A-side going into this fight, but he's not the one with the belt. It's a very strange dynamic, this. Uh, and you almost have to check yourself and remember that Jan Blahovic is the man putting his belt on the line in this fight. And actually, Jan Blahovic has got some advantages going into this fight that make this a really, really interesting matchup. I'll give you my take on it in a minute. But in terms of the dynamic between the two, they're very different personalities, very different styles of fighter. What what sort of spectacle are you expecting to see when those two finally start throwing leather on Saturday night in the main event? Because so I think it's going to be very, very interesting to watch. Yeah, I mean, that fight is like the cherry on top of the cake, right? And I feel like the event is going to roll out, much like how I feel like this week's going to roll out. It's going to be a crescendo. It's going to keep building and building and building. And when you look at the rest of the card, it's so stellar. There's so many incredible fights. God knows what kind of drama we're going to get. And then it's going to be like one of those cards, Simon, where I feel like we're going to be so content and so happy with what we would have seen by the time we come to the end of the Amanda Nunes, Megan Anderson fight, that we're going to be like, oh, now it's time for the real main event. Now it's time for the top of the card, the marquee fight, you know, the, the fight that's going to close the show. And it's it's fun. It's exciting. And I feel like for Jean Blahovic, number one, Simon, he's the true light heavyweight. This is the weight class he's been competing at basically his entire career. So all things are very normal with regards to his weight cut and all the rest of it. For Israel Adesanya... Has he put on weight? I feel like it's a bit of a red herring here, Simon. And I feel like I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think that Adesanya is the kind of guy that would really bulk up because I don't think it's warranted. He, his whole offense is about his speed, his agility, his technique, and we've seen, you know, from the Paolo Costa fight, who's you know a really big, muscly, bulky middleweight that he's got knockout power he lands and it's 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 lights out it's it's a game the game's over but listen for Jan Blahovic Simon this was the fight to make you know when you become a UFC champion you get pay-per-view points and for him to finally be in a position in his career 
where he can really make and this is probably going to be his biggest paycheck it's going to do really really well on pay-per-view and he's going to get a slice of that good for him and listen i think it's going to be competitive i don't think it's going to be as one-sided as perhaps some are saying because we look at the body type we just saw what jan blahovich did to a tall lanky you know really you know younger fighter in dominic reyes now i rate israel adesanya higher than dominic reyes when it comes to overall combat sports experience striking ability and and all the rest of it uh, and i am going to be picking israel adesanya to win purely because simon i don't tend to go against undefeated fighters he hasn't given me a reason to 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 choose against him right perfect record he hasn't lost in mma he only looks better and better and better but I do think this is going to be a competitive fight. I do think Jan Blachowicz is going to bring that Polish power and it's going to be a very good test for Adesanya stepping up to 205 for the very first time in his UFC career. Yeah, I'm fascinated by this matchup. I really am because from a, a technical standpoint, if, if you're just looking skill for skill, Israel Adesanya has a big skill advantage when it comes to the stand-up in this fight. But Jan Blachowicz is a monster. Like, we've met the man many times over the years covering the European scene. He's the most cheerful, humble guy you could meet away from the cage. Put him in the cage. He's a savage. And he's he's virtually a heavyweight. I mean, he's a big, light heavyweight. You know, he's got he's very broad-shouldered. He's very, very powerful. I'm sure he cuts to make 205. I don't think it's not like he just naturally rocks up at 205. You know, he probably cuts down from like 220, 225 to get there. So he's a big unit for 205 pounds and he has got the sort of punch power that could put any middleweight in the world's lights out, even Israel Adesanya. So I I think that he has, he has more than a puncher's chance of winning this fight. I really do. And I wouldn't rule out his grappling either. Um, he's, he's as Israel Adesanya is going to struggle to outmuscle him. If they hook up, one of the things we've seen with Adesanya in some of his fights is, yeah, he's very good at piecing people up from distance, but he's also shown how adept he is in those little grappling scrambles, dealing with the clinch, maneuvering people around when you're up against the fence. Even though he looks perhaps not as muscular and powerful as his opponents, he's got those long, you know, he's quite rangy. He's got those long levers. He's able to, he's able to move people around. I don't think he's going to be moving Jan Blahovic anywhere because he's an absolute he's an absolute tank of a man. And he's, so I think Adesanya is just going to have to pepper him with strikes until he either lands something really significant or he wins on the scorecards. Jan Blahovic, I think, can finish this fight in an instant. And that's what makes this really interesting. Like you, I've picked Israel Adesanya. But do I think Jan Blahovic has got a very, very, very good chance of winning this fight? Absolutely, he does. Absolutely, he does. I think people, I think a lot of people are a bit, well, I don't. I don't think people are fully convinced about Jan Blahovic yet, um, and those people I think are idiots because he like if if you look at what he's done, and you look at you know the way he absolutely demolished Luke Rockhold, just as an example, Luke Rockhold is bigger and stronger than Israel Adesanya. Had a I think he's probably got a bigger range than Israel Adesanya, and he just went in there. He just went through him like a hot curry. Absolutely, absolutely finished him with ease right he goes through people when he connects it's game over 
and he can submit you as well. So, I mean, he's got all that in his in his, his locker as well. I'm giving all the reasons why Jan Blachowicz can win this fight, but I'm still going to pick Adesanya because I just think, I just think he's a better fighter. And um, it really depends if if, uh, but he needs to he needs to watch his p's and q's on fight night. If he makes one mistake, um, he's going to get knocked out. So that's why I love this matchup. It's on a knife edge. It really is. But um, for Blachowicz, I'm really pleased that he's getting the the opportunity to have a big fight like this because with Jones leaving the division. It was kind of like, well, what's he going to do next? And then, as soon as Adesanya said, "I'm stepping up," bang! You got this guy who's done his dues. He's had he had a bit of a rough patch earlier in his career. Reunited with his old coach—that was the big thing that really turned his career around. Worked his way back up to the top, and here he is, world champion. The one thing I was going to say, Sandu, and people are going to turn around and go, "Well, Jimmy Manor was not as good a fighter as Israel Adesanya." I guarantee you, Jimmy Manor hits harder than, than Israel Adesanya does. And Jimmy Manoa hit Jan Blachowicz a lot when they fought, and Jan Blachowicz did not go down. So if Jimmy can't knock him out, it's going to require the most incredible shot, perfect timing, perfect placement for Adesanya to get Jan Blachowicz out of there. So I can't wait to see how it all goes down. And the other thing we should definitely mention here is some history going to be on the line because if Adesanya does win, he'll be the only, well, the first ever middleweight and light heavyweight dual champion in UFC history, number one. Number two, he'll join a very short list of individuals who've been able to hold championships at the exact same time, Conor McGregor being the first. We've got Amanda Nunes on the card right now. DC's done it. Henry Zahudo's the other one. But I think, and, I've, and I'm pretty sure this is correct because I might have some you know content up my sleeve for, uh, for Saturday night if this actually comes, you know, comes to fruition. If Israel Adesanya beats Jan Blachowicz, Simon, he would be the, the fastest fighter in UFC history from making his debut to achieving champ-champ status. He would have been the guy that's done it the fastest in UFC history, which just kind of you know, plays into the whole narrative and the story of what a meteoric rise Adesanya has had. I've been you know, in the arena for just one of his fights, and it was a Derek Brunson fight at Madison Square Garden. Um, and the main event for that one was DC versus Derek Lewis. And the guy at that stage was just oozing confidence. He was backstage doing some stuff on social media for Sports Center. I was working for ESPN at the time. And he just takes everything in his stride. He's just so comfortable with the spotlight. Um, we saw a brand new uh, Puma advert being released this past weekend and it just seems like you know Adesanya's star right now is bright he's got these endorsement deals you know and the fact that he's one of the real gems in the UFC crown if he can achieve champ champ status then we're talking wow what is you know what is the limit what is the ceiling you know he's, he's already talked about it Simon he's already planted those seeds he said he'll chase John Jones to heavyweight he said that he wants to be the first triple champion in UFC history. There are, the, 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 the possibilities are absolutely endless if he could secure the win on Saturday night, which makes, again, everything so much more compelling when you start to kind of look at the bigger picture. It's crazy. And I still don't think he gets the respect he deserves. I still mm -hmm. think that the haters are out for him. I still think that there are people who 
they sort of begrudge his success. They don't want to. They don't want to give the man the kudos he deserves. I mean, he's undefeated. He's come into a sport undefeated. He's got into the UFC relatively early in his career, and he's he's run the gauntlet in the middleweight division. He's faced a lot of really strong, tough guys. A lot of different fighting styles as well. Become champion, and now he's taking on a monster in the UFC light heavyweight division for the belt. Um, all kudos in the world to him. I was there when he beat Brad Tavares, which felt a bit like his coming out party at the tough finale. I think it was his first main event um, a couple of years ago. And you knew just chatting to him during fight week that if he can just keep his trajectory in terms of his uh, results going, that he would be the UFC's next big superstar because he had all the personality that you would ever wish to wish to get from a, from a top level fighter. And it's, can he can he step up the levels when he's asked? You know, there's there's landmark moments in a fighter's career where you think, okay, this was the moment where he went up to world class level. This is the moment where he went to world championship level. This is the moment where he went to like goat level. Do you know what I mean? There's like little signposts, and Adesanya is just going through these with relative ease, and uh, he's had some incredible fights along the way. The Gasolin fight obviously stands out, but he's had some great fights along the way, and uh, yeah. I'm really looking forward to this fight. Um, it'll be very interesting to see who comes out on top. What happens to the division after this fight? If Jan Blachowicz wins, I think it be, it's a little more clear cut. It'll be back to the next contender. Maybe Glover Teixeira next. You know, we, we've got a, a, a backlog of contenders there. If Israel Adesanya wins, what happens? Because he's champion of two divisions. He's then got a timeshare between the two. But then you said he wants to be a three-belt champion. So how does that play into the mix? What happens with the middleweight division? What happens with the light heavyweight division? So lots lots more questions than answers if Israel Adesanya wins this fight on Saturday night. But um, guaranteed we'll be talking about it all next week, regardless of who wins. Let's talk about the co-main event, where if there are lots of question marks over the main event, the co-main event on paper looks pretty clear-cut. Amanda Nunes is the greatest female fighter in MMA history. She's beaten every woman ever to hold a championship belt in the UFC. Every single one. Well, sorry, from 135 up. She's not going around beating up strawweights. That's not fair, right? But 135 and above, she has beaten everyone who's held a championship belt. She's absolutely demolished Chris Cyborg. She's been through everyone. And now she's got Megan Anderson, who, when she came over from Invicta, there was a lot of talk about, this is the next person who can really move up. And it, back then it was to challenge Chris Cyborg. But she's gone three and two in the UFC. Three and two in the UFC. Now she's got a title shot against Amanda Nunes. And I'll ask you this, because we, we you know we've seen shocks in title fights many, many times over the years. You know, Britain's very own Michael Bisbing was was a shock winner when he beat Luke Rockhold, Matt Serra when he beat GSP. Holly Holm when she knocked out Ronda Rousey. You know, there's, there's so many. If Megan Anderson beats Amanda Nunes, I would say that is probably the biggest shock in a title fight ever in the UFC. Can you think of a bigger one? Because I'm not sure I can. I mean, Bisping, Rockhold, two weeks notice. That's that's up there for me, man. The, the Connor 13-second knockout of Jose Aldo, that's up there for me as well. Um, what else comes to mind? I mean, the Holly Holm Ronda Rousey head kick. 
I don't know. I don't know, Simon. Uh, I think it'll just depend on how it plays out. You know, the manner of the finish, the manner of a knockout, the manner of how she wins, if in fact she does win. And then we can absorb, okay, how does this rank against others? Um, I actually think this is going to be fairly competitive, Simon, because, look, I think unanimously everyone's going to be picking a man in Nunes to win this fight. She is the women's goat for a reason. We talked about you know, her defeating every champion at 135 and, and 145. She's even beaten the flyweight champion twice. She's beaten Valentina Shevchenko, right? And I'm sure she would beat Young Bailey if Young Bailey was 20 pounds heavier. You know what I mean? Um, Amanda Nunes, American top team, is probably like one of the best products that that gym and that camp has ever produced. She just looks better and better every time she's out. The thing with Megan Anderson, Simon, she has really had a lot of time to strategize for this fight. Because this has been a fight that she's been thinking about and this is a fight that she's been building towards for quite some time. So I'm sure her and her team have analyzed the bejesus out of Amanda Nunes and, and how best to prepare for her. What Megan Anderson does have going for her, she's a big featherweight. Big, tall, strong, lanky featherweight. And so I'm assuming she'll try and use her frame as best as possible to perhaps outpower Amanda Nunes, especially when it comes to the clinch work. The thing about Megan Anderson, Simon, is her, some of her losses have come by submission. And we know that when it comes to the grappling exchanges, Amanda Nunes' jiu-jitsu is so incredible. So if she can't knock out Megan Anderson, if she can get it to the ground, that's where I think Megan Anderson is going to have some real problems. But yeah, look, I think, I'm, I, listen, I'll say this much. I'm so happy that Anderson is finally going to get her opportunity. She's finally going to get her chance. I just wish that, uh, the UFC had invested in actually fleshing out and creating a legitimate featherweight division here. Because while Amanda Nunes has been away, it perhaps would have given a Megan Anderson maybe one, maybe a, you know two more fights to get a bit more experience and to kind of, I guess, polish off her skills. Who knows? Maybe in hindsight, the lack of competition, the lack of a featherweight division may mean that Amanda Nunes is so far ahead of the pack that the other ladies... They just can't get ready for that elite level, championship level, you know, opportunity because they can't build towards it because there isn't a, a division to test your skills against and and improve your skill set against. And so that's why you have to pick a Manunas. And yeah, it would yeah. be a shock, Simon, if Anson won. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is probably the lock of the night for me, especially when it comes to the title fights. Yeah, the interesting thing about this is Megan Anderson's size. She's six foot tall, Sandu. She's six foot tall. She's going to have a three and a half inch reach advantage over over Amanda Nunes. And uh, the thing you said about the time to prepare, let's talk about where she's preparing. She's preparing and training at Gloria Mamaya Fitness in Missouri. James Krause, who for me is one of the most underrated coaches in the game, a brilliant game planner, uh, someone who has, he's taken a lot of uh, raw new talent and he's really moving them up the ladder in the UFC. He's outstanding. As well as his own career, he's, as a, as a fighter, he's turning into one of the best, the best young coaches in the game. And um, this is a real opportunity to show just what you can do. And Megan Anderson's been in there with some good fighters and 
you know, I mentioned that she's three and two in the UFC. She was submitted by Felicia Spencer in the first round in a, in a performance that I know she was far from happy with. And she lost the unanimous decision to Holly Holm. Um, so she got outmaneuvered in that fight by Holly Holm. Holly, Holly's did the whole stick and move thing brilliantly in that fight. Megan Anderson is not going to find herself in a stick and move kind of fight against Amanda Nunes. Amanda Nunes is just going to come forward throwing bombs. But she's never been knocked out, Sandu. She's not been finished with strikes in her career. Um, granted, she hasn't faced anyone quite as powerful as Nunes, but she she likes to stand and throw hands. That's what she does. So, granted, we may not have that, that amount of um, back catalogue of fights where we can go back and say, look at this fight. This proves that she can be a test. It's more about the unknown. It's more about the unknown and... and that's the same for Amanda Nunes. Amanda Nunes, I don't think, will be fully aware of what she's getting in there with until fight night when it actually happens. And sometimes we see fighters who we haven't seen the full the full gamut of their skills until they're really put in that sort of acid test, which is obviously going to be uh, the situation for Megan Anderson this weekend because, as you say, not many people are going to give her a chance. Most people will be picking Amanda Nunes to win the fight. But Megan Anderson is more than capable of standing in there and throwing hands and finishing people. And she's going to be the bigger fighter on fight night. So, you know, odds-wise, it's, it's it's barely a contest. You look at the bookmaker's odds, she's something like a 14 to 1 underdog or something like that, which is, for a two-horse race, is incredible. Um, that's why I asked, would it be the biggest upset in UFC title history? Because just that that that's how little she's rated by the odds makers. But... I'm fascinated to see how this one goes down stylistically. I think uh, either we're going to get a blowout win from Amanda Nunes or we're going to come away going, wow, Megan made that really tricky. So be interesting to see how that one pans out. Um, but we'll talk about the fight that precedes it because for me, this is the fight that I am the most excited to watch. Bantamweight title on the line. Peter Yan against Aljamain Sterling. A real clash of styles. Two guys who... Absolutely love to push the pace, love to finish fights, and they tend to do it through different means to each other. Yan, very much boxing-based, uh, happy to scramble on the mat. Aljamain Sterling, very much grappling-based, but happy to throw hands. I think this is going to be an absolute banger of a fight, and uh, I, I, I just can't wait to see how this one plays out, Sandu. Yeah, I mean, talking about Peter Yan, Simon, I, I know I've you know, a while back, we were talking about his record and you astutely pointed out a fight that I personally hadn't seen, but it was the the fight at ACB back in March 2016 against Magomed Magomedov. And it was a split decision loss. But again, you watched it and, you, you, know, you, you know, according to you and, and, you know, I'm assuming many others, a lot of people scored that fight for Peter Yan. And so... Had had he, you know, had the judges got it perhaps right on that particular night, we'd be looking at a perfect record here. We'd be looking at someone at 16 and 0. That being said, that put put that to the side. From when I became aware of him, which is when he joined the UFC, perfect. Absolutely perfect. Look, so, look some of the names he's beaten. Jod Donson, Jimmy Rivera, Uriah Faber, Jose Aldo. I think the Aljamain Sterling fight now is going to be interesting for Peter Yan because he's going to be fighting someone that's obviously a true bantamweight and in their prime and also coming in with serious momentum. 
I mean, Aljamain Sterling has been looking so good, so good for a, for a, for a while now, you know, and he has legitimately earned this shot. He's coming off a five-fight win streak. Brett Johns, Cody Stamman, Jimmy Rivera, Pedro Munoz, and Corey Sandhagen. And it really is the Corey Sandhagen win from June of last year at UFC 250. That, you know, rear naked choke submission within, what, 90 seconds of the fight against Corey Sandhagen, who we are all so high of, just given what he's just done recently. Just goes to show what an incredible performance that was. This is going to be a bang assignment. I am so hyped for this. I'll be honest, I'm if you if you ask me which fight I'm most excited about, it is the main event, just because of what it could mean for the future of the sport and for the future of the UFC in terms of big fights and just the the draw and the attraction that style bender can be. But from just a pure um styles makes fights and just from a pure I don't know which way this fight's gonna go. This is the fight. I genuinely don't know which way this is going to go because I feel like Aljamain Sterling doesn't get the respect he deserve, uh, um, you know, deserves in co- according to his skill set. I feel like Peter Yan has pretty much been perfect in his MMA career, but I feel like this is going to be the toughest test of his career thus far. Aljamain Sterling, he's been just dying to finally get a UFC championship opportunity. If he wins, he'll be the first guy with Jamaican heritage to become a champion in the UFC, which I know means a lot to him. Peter Yan, if Khabib is out of the picture and going to retire, is supposed to be the face, uh, the, the face rather, of Russian MMA in the UFC, right? So there's so much at stake here for both guys and the UFC, and I'm so glad that they've put this fight on a card which is so stacked that it's going to get so many eyeballs on it because I feel like the bantamweight division has become everyone's favorite division in the hardcore MMA community over the last couple of years but perhaps the casual fans and and you know you know mainstream fans don't really understand how good this division is and they're going to get a, a real good look at it on Saturday night yeah it's going to be great i mean the thing i find really fascinating by this is peter yan has he's he's been through some tests he's taken on some very very good fighters and he's gone through with flying colors He's going to be absolutely bursting with confidence. He's going to have no fears for what Aljamain Sterling can bring. That in itself is a concern, right? Because Aljamain Sterling is unlike anything that Peter Yan has fought, certainly since his ACB days. I can't speak to his fights before then. Um, but Peter Yan has gone in there and when he fought Magomed, Magomedov twice, Magomedov, who's now a Bellator fighter, by the way, um, he he's an out and out Sambo style wrestler. Like he will he will just relentlessly push you to takedowns and take you down. And Yan was scrambling on the mat with him through those two fights, and then lighting him up with strikes. That's what you do. It's so it's you know defensive wrestling, and then light them up with your boxing. And that's that that's a successful formula for him. I don't think he can have a moment of comfort when he's in those scrambles with Aljamain Sterling, because that's where Sterling thrives. That's where he's at his best. Uh, the human Jan sport, the human backpack, as he, as he likes to call himself. Once he gets on, on, on your back, that's it. You, you know, you're, you're, you're toast. So, and Sterling is so good and his striking's getting slicker as well. I don't think he's going to want to stand there and kickbox with him for, for five rounds, but I think he's got, he's got an awkward enough technique that he's going to force Yan to, make some sort of uh, bold movements forward that are hopefully going to, from, from from Sterling's point of view, leave him open to a takedown. And if Sterling can get the takedowns early enough in the rounds, this fight gets really interesting. 
because I think Sterling can keep him down. I don't think many fighters can keep Peter Yan down, but I think Sterling has got the sort of game that potentially could keep him on the mat. If he takes him down early, keeps him down, we've got ourselves a real interesting matchup on our hands. If it stays as just a striking matchup, it's advantage Peter Yan. But uh, I'm a big fan of both both guys and uh, their their respective careers. It's 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 a fight that I've been calling for for a long time. I thought Sterling deserved this title shot a year ago. You know, it's been that long. Um, and uh, now he's finally getting it. And uh, they're both getting a good run up at it. It's not a short, a short notice thing. They've both had a good, good time to prepare. And uh, it's going to be an absolute belter of a fight. For the record, I've been really boring with my picks. I've picked Yan, Nunes and Adesanya. At the end, having extolled the virtues of all of the, you know, the people on the other side of the coin, I've gone with the easy picks. What can I say? Like I'm doing really badly in the MMA Junkie Picks League at the moment. I've had an absolute shocking start. I need to start picking with my head rather than my heart. So um, that's what I've gone for. I've gone for Yan Nunes and Adesanya. But um, it's not just about those three title fights, Sandu. Islam Makachev is fighting Drew Dober. That's a big fight at 155 pounds. You know, we talked about Russian MMA and all the rest of it. There's If, if you take Khabib out of it, I think there's four names in the UFC that are there to really carry the flag. You've got Alexander Volkov at heavyweight. You've got uh, Magomed Ankalaev at light heavyweight, who is edging his way towards title contention at 205 pounds. You've got Pete Yan, obviously, with the belt. And then you've got this guy, Islam Makachev, who Khabib has been very high on. Uh, he, he gave him the belt at a press conference at one point and said, yeah, you'll be winning that one day. Um, so. But Drew Dober is no mug, and he's in good form. So I think that's going to be a great one, Sandy. What do you reckon? Yeah, and look, speaking of Makachev, he was supposed to fight RDA, uh, and that fight fell apart, unfortunately. And that, that was a fight I was really looking forward to because I think that would have been a good step-up in competition and a good test for Makachev. But yeah, you, you've talked about it, Simon. Khabib is so high on Makachev. It's almost like he's the heir apparent to the UFC lightweight championship. and Or essentially, Khabib is hoping he can be the... The, the next in line to 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 take over the throne because that's what Khabib wants. He, you know, he's I give cre credit to Khabib here, man. At, on his way out, he's just putting over his guys. You know, he I don't know if you saw this post over the weekend, Simon, but Khabib's in town. He's in Las Vegas, and this is the first time he has flown back to the U.S. since the pandemic started. You remember what a year ago when things were starting to get crazy and. UFC was right. Okay, you're in San Jose, Khabib, but we got to start moving some pieces around because this fight with Tony Ferguson is so important. And then they were flying him around. They flew him to Abu Dhabi, and then they then he obviously he got stuck there. And then obviously we know we know the story there. We know the history there. But yeah, he's back. He's back in the US. He's back in Las Vegas. He's there to support his guy Makachev and, and I think one or two others. And who knows? Maybe this is also an opportunity for him to speak to the, the brass. And finally, get some clarification with regards to his his future, whether he's going to fight again or whether he's going to retire, and maybe that belt becomes you know vacant. But this fight is fantastic, and honestly, Simon, it's uh, it's an embarrassment of riches this UFC 259 card because I, I I've been thinking about the three title fights so much that I haven't really allowed myself to really start to look down the pecking order and get myself engrossed in some of the other fights. But man, is that Makachev Drew Dober? That's a great fight. I think Makachev takes that. But when you look down the list, Simon, 
Jesus Christ, 15 fights in total. And I'm glad they've stacked this, not just with the title fights, but they've stacked this with names. They've stacked this with the quantity of fights. Because at the top of the show, you mentioned it. This has been a reoccurring theme over the Brit Pack for a number of months now. These Vegas cards get hit pretty much on a weekly basis. It's it's something that we're expecting now, whether it's day before weigh-ins, weigh-ins, hours before the card is due to begin. So with all that in mind, I'm so happy that this card is the way it is and, and it's structured the way it's structured because it means it's essentially bulletproof. It can take a few hits here and there, right? It can take a few hits. I'm not saying it can take too many hits and we obviously don't want these title fights um, to to disappear. But um, I think the UFC matchmakers and, and the brass have done the right thing in terms of delivering a pay-per-view worth buying with an asterisk knowing that, you know, hey, listen, if a few fights fall off, it's still going to be something worth tuning in for. Yeah, they've built in insurance policies for two of the three title fights. So Jan Blachowicz, Israel Adesanya is a light heavyweight title fight. They've got an insurance policy for that. The first fight on the main card is Thiago Santos, former title challenger, against Alexander Rakic, potentially future, future title challenger. That in itself is an absolute banger of a matchup. But... If anything did happen in that main event and one of those two were to drop out and they needed another 205er to step in, they've got two of them. And they're both elite level guys who could step in and potentially fight for a belt, an interim belt or whatever. Um, the bantamweight title fight, PDM versus Aljamain Sterling, there are contingencies for that as well. Dominic Cruz, the former champion, is in the featured preliminary bout against Casey Kenny, who is making his way up. And uh, Song Yudong, who is in good form as well, he is also potentially available to step up. He's taking on the dangerous Kyler Phillips. Um, Joseph Benavidez is also on this card. And uh, he could just be asked to ease off his weight cut and fight at bantamweight. So he's got Askar Askarov, which is a great fight at 125. But they have got options. Whichever way things pan out, we should be able to say with a reasonable degree of confidence, and I hesitate before I say this because it's probably going to jinx it, we should get minimum two title fights on Saturday night. Even if we get issues with COVID and all the rest of it, unless there's some sort of mini outbreak amongst the fighter hotel that rules out half the card, we look like we've got enough contingencies there looking at this fight card to be able to relatively confidently say we're going to get two title fights on Saturday night. Fingers crossed we'll get all three um, and the card stays together. We had a nine-fight card in the end on Saturday. I think it started out as a 12 or 13-fight card. It ended up with nine. We've got a lot of fights. Was it 15 fights, did you say? 15-fight card, this. so On paper, it's 15 right now. Mm, so they've built plenty of wriggle room. Um, if all these fights stay intact, Sandy, we're for a long night. It's going <laughs> to be... Jan Blachowicz, Israel Adesanya, they could be making their walk to the cage at like 7.30 a.m. UK time. It, it could be absolutely mad. But either that or it's going to be, the pacing is going to be outstanding and it's just going to be pow, 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 pow. Fights coming, coming at us thick and fast. But yeah, so many good fights on this card. Cruz versus Kenny on the prelims. Song Yudong, Kyla Phillips. Benavidez, Askarov. Rodrigo Bontarin versus Kaikara France at flyweight is a banger. Um, further down the list. Sean Brady versus Jake Matthews is an outstanding matchup at welterweight. That's on Fight Pass. 
So uh, Euros Medic versus Alan Cruz should be fun. Mario Batista, Trevin Jones kicks things off. So many fun fights on this card. If ever there was a night to just say, do you know what? I'm not going to do the whole waking up for the main card thing. I'm going to have a tactical nap and I'm going to watch the whole thing. Do it for this card. This is going to deliver absolutely boatloads of excitement. It's going to be a great card. And uh, fingers crossed, all being well, we're going to see three really good title fights at the top of it. It's uh, These are the cards that really, really get me excited and happy that I do what I do. Um, you know, as a fan, it's great to sit down and watch this stuff. But even for someone covering the sport, these are the things that really get us up in the morning and get us excited about, right, it's fight week again. But this is this is a bigger fight week than a regular fight week. Look at all the names on there. So cannot wait. BT Sports Saturday night will be the usual start time. So I would imagine, well, with this fight card, it might be an earlier fight pass start. It might even be 11 o'clock start time on fight pass if all the fights stay intact. Main card, sorry, uh, prelims will start at one on BT Sport. Main card will be at three. So um, make sure you have got the alarm set, the coffee ready. And uh, yeah. Get involved. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and ahead of that, there'll be a ton of fight week festivities going down. Obviously, we've got weigh-in, ceremonial weigh-in. It's going to be a massive press conference on Thursday, Simon, with um, everyone involved in the three title fights. But I'm really happy the UFC have decided to include Leon Edwards and Bilal Mohammed because it's a great opportunity for them to get a bit of shine when the spotlight is on this event. Tons of media... Um, hopefully they get asked some good questions and they give some good answers and we'll get an early face-off and, and all that good stuff. So, yeah, happy for Leon and Bilal to to get a bit of the rub there this week um, because that's another great fight. March in general is just insane. BT Sport are advertising this as March Madness, which is more of a, a US collegiate term with, um, you know, all their basketball games and bits and pieces going on. Um, it's not really a term that we use in the UK too often, but when you look at the schedule of the UFC in March, the, the fights on deck, the events on deck, it is March madness. It's mad. It is, it is literally mad. It's going to be brilliant. And uh, yeah, it's going to be uh, a good run of events. And as you say, once we get to the summer and we start to see maybe events with a few fans in, in the building and, everything's gradually moving in the right direction and uh maybe by you know by the time we've gotten through the summer ufc events are going to start to look a little bit more like what we're used to seeing them look like before the pandemic kicked in and uh you can bet that once the fans are back in the arenas all of the sports big stars are going to be beating down dana white's door asking to be on these big fight cards at the end of the year so fingers crossed all of that keeps progressing in the way that it seems to be right now because it's looking it's looking more positive these days which is good it was looking a bit depressing about six or seven months ago but fingers crossed things are starting to pick up hope things are good wherever you guys are out there listening to the show that i think sandu is pretty much all we've got on this week's episode it certainly is we'll be back next week to really go into detail with regards to the fallout of ufc 259 but until then we're available on spotify Apple, we're available on YouTube. Go to YouTube, like and subscribe. Join us there. That's where we really want you guys to go. Um, Substack is there, uh, thebritpack.substack.com. And of course, you can go to our website, thebritpackmma.com. And from there, you can find us everywhere, social media, 
podcast platforms, you name it, all the rest of it. Simon, social media handle. Twitter, it's at Simon Head. And on Facebook and Instagram, it's at Simon Head Sport. And for yours truly, I am at Sandu MMA on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Awesome stuff. And uh, yeah, behind the scenes, just to pull the curtain back a little bit, we're working very hard on getting the show on video, but that opens up a whole load of different opportunities for us. And uh, we're looking forward to bringing some of that stuff to you as the year progresses. So it really would mean a lot if you could jump on that YouTube channel and hit the subscribe button, even if that isn't your primary source of podcast consumption. If you're a Spotify user, but you've got a YouTube account, jump over onto YouTube and uh, give us a give us a subscribe anyway. That would be very helpful for us as we look to build all this stuff out. Big fights this weekend, lots to talk about next week. So uh, don't forget to join us on the Brit Pack as we unpack it all. Enjoy the fights this weekend and we'll be back next week. Yeah.